I would want to push for baptism being more than a dramatic retelling of something that's happened internally that we are expressing externally. For sure it is that, but I want to say that it's more than that, because if it's just a dramatic retelling of, of what God has done on the inside, and me showing this on the outside, a public witness, then where is God involved in this event apart from in the past tense? Welcome to Calling a City to Life, the podcast, the only podcast from Queen's Park Baptist Church here in Glasgow. It's not so sunny today. Gentlemen, lady, is it sunny where you are this morning? It's always sunny where I am, Richard, but that's mainly because I'm inside. Uh, so it's completely <laughs> fake sunshine uh, in this room. Um, Incandescent there, sunshine. I can see a little bit of blue breaking through the clouds above me. Do you know what? It was, it was actually nice walking to work to see some standing water on the grass in places <laughs> of thinking it so badly needs it. Mm. So... Yeah. Are we just all kind of slightly conditioned as Scottish people to need to see rain in the ground after a while? Because otherwise we start to feel anxious. I don't know. That no, well, can like SEPA uh, were putting out maps showing water scarcity in Scotland. It's a thing. Climate change That's really is, incredible. is current. It is not a future event. It is happening now. It is a and current, suffering, man. Suffering the consequences. <laughs> it's the smell, though. It's the smell of rain on fresh tarmac. There's nothing more modern a smell than that. Than that. <laughs> our, our forefathers never smelt the smell of rain on tarmac. <laughs> 300 years ago, they did not know the delights of cold rain on fresh hot tarmac. There we go. So before this turns into the weather channel, uh, let's discuss what we're going to discuss. So you may have noticed there was not an earlier in the week uh, audio podcast. That's because it was a family service this past weekend. So we have, however, lined up this coming weekend, a baptismal service. So what we thought we would do is have a chat about baptism, because we kind of all sort of assume that we all kind of understand it. And we obviously get a little bit of chat on the day of a baptism about what it's all about and all the rest of it. But we thought we'd maybe take, if you pardon the pun, <laughs> the cheese puns from last week. You know where I'm going You're already. not going to have a deeper We're dive. Going, oh. We're going to have a deeper dive <laughs> into baptism. <laughs> Ah, and, and, and relax. I feel centred now, having said that. <laughs> anyway, so I thought I'd start, first of all, by asking, I've never done a baptism. Jack, have you ever done a baptism? Other than your like, own? Well, I was going to say I was present for my own, but no, I have not performed a baptism. Ian, Brody, do you know how many baptisms you have both taken part in? Do you collect them like Panini stickers? Yeah. No. A little black book. It's easier for me to count than Ian, because I'll have done fewer than Ian. Um, I've done a few. Yeah, so I just had the real joy, delight and privilege in my very first year of ministry of conducting actually quite a large number of baptisms. And when I got to a certain number, I just felt it was inappropriate to count. Um, okay. So I'm, I kind of stopped in year one of ministry, actually <laughs> in intentionally counting baptisms just from the point of view wow. of not wanting to actually keep score because um if my if my rate didn't kind of keep up which it hasn't um <laughs> you know you then kind of start feeling a little bit miserable as a consequence rough guess like in the hundreds or the dozens i have i have no clue about how many baptisms the average baptist minister does 
in the lifetimes of work? Is it kind of five a year, ten a year? Give us an estimate. It varies hugely, doesn't it? And I think the thing is that I tend to think of baptismal services and then you've got to think how many people were baptised in that service. So most times it's more than one that were baptised in, in a service. And I think that's part of the danger, isn't it? Or there is a danger that that we don't treat baptism with the the seriousness, perhaps, in which it deserves, um, or the attentiveness to it. I do worry at times that our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox and Anglican communion actually have a deeper theology of baptism than what we Baptists do. So, kind of like the whole counting things, not the thing. One of the things that kind of like weighs quite heavily on me um, in doing a baptism is we we give whoever has been baptized uh, 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 a scripture, and just praying into that, praying into that person, praying for what God is doing in their life. It's it's a holy moment, and that's quite special. So each one is unique, Richard, and. You must have, before we get into the theology of it, because I'm always up for a good story, you must have some good stories. But I know of Baptist ministers who've fallen in the swimming pool. Swimming pool? Yeah, the baptizing swimming pools who've got stuck. I, I do remember one Baptist minister who managed to pull the podium into the pool with them because they were kind of like lectern at the side with all the notes and got stuck and it ended up in the swimming pool with them and the baptismal candidates. You must have some stories or some really powerful examples of baptism which really got you as well as you know a bit of comedy here and there yeah there's there's so the comedy moments are from my childhood we didn't have a baptismal tank we used the river grife we would put posters up all over the village (laughs) and the young folk from the village would sit on one side of the river we would be in the other with guitars and accordions and goodness knows what (laughs) my aunt was a rather large lady if you think of a child's drawing of three balls, you have my aunt. And she was, so she was very floaty. <laughs> um, so when she was baptised, she didn't quite go under. My dad was doing it with the pastor. He just got his hand and slammed her in the forehead under the water, which was a bit unconventional. So yeah, my, my floaty aunt was, was a baptism that sticks out in my mind. <laughs> a floaty people. Excellent, floaty people, excellent. yeah. Good stuff. Ian? Yeah, I mean, I think... With apologies to the person who may be offended by this, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I really can't avoid this because anybody from Queen's Park will want to be reminded of this story. But there was one occasion some years ago in our previous building which had a a, a baptistry in the platform, so it was at ground level, um, and it had um, covers over it. And the idea was you put the covers on as quickly as possible after the service because everybody kind of rushed around. Um, congratulating and hugging and praying for the people who'd been baptised. And on one occasion, this didn't quite happen quickly enough. And there was a certain lady um, who decided that the quickest direction between two points was a straight line. <laughs> Unfortunately, the straight line also included the baptistry. And in the midst of the commotion after this baptismal service, uh, she ended up plunging into the into the tank and she was actually unable to walk on the water as it turned out and so she went right right under um and uh we we actually dined out on that story for um for for quite some time and um somebody in the congregation um 
then wrote to Edwin, who was the pastor, and pretending to be a Baptist theologian and suggesting that we had had an inadvertent and inappropriate <laughs> baptism on that Sunday evening. And could he explain it theologically? Um, and it was all in headed note paper and all the rest of it. So Edwin wrote back accordingly. And this correspondence went right. on for several weeks um, about, about this particular unorthodox and inappropriate baptism, um, which had happened. So just shout out oh, to the lady if she's listening. Uh, thank you for giving us that story. That is amazing. Jack, observed anything particularly funny in baptismal world? I mean, no, I just always get over-emotional. I, I find them the most... I, I don't need to know the person. I could walk into a random church in a place that I don't even know, and if I was there for the baptism, the minute they come out of the water, I start to cry. Like, it's a completely involuntary reaction. Um, and, I, and I think it's a representation of how powerful it is. And... Sorry, I've got taken us very seriously very quickly after that. Well, it's about time. It's about time somebody took us seriously. In that vein, if one of you could just start by explaining briefly, we're not going to take the deepest dive, but explaining the significance of baptism. Big pause. I have in my notes... Right, he's got the notes. <laughs> That's why I paused. <laughs> I have in my notes a comment from John Colwell, who is a Baptist theologian, who says, From their beginnings, Baptists have never been able to agree concerning the significance of baptism. <laughs> oh, that was not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> so, while on the surface it all looks the same, what we understand to be going on can be very different. I would want to push for baptism being more than a dramatic retelling of something that's happened internally that we are expressing externally. For sure it is that. But I want to say that it's more than that. Because if it's just a dramatic retelling of, of what God has done on the inside and me showing this on the outside, a public witness then where is God involved in this event apart from in the past tense? Yeah. So my expectation, my belief is that God is involved in the act of baptism in the present tense. That he yeah. is the primary actor in what is happening. There's nothing special about the water, but there's something special about the moment. And therefore, for me, in that sense... Baptism is sacramental. It's a holy moment in which God does something and it comes with a promise. So in Acts 2, after uh, the disciples have stumbled out of the upper room um, and Peter stands up and uh, uh, gives his, his, his sermon, he says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who, and we know the rest of So there's a promise of an encounter with the Holy Spirit that comes with baptism. So one of the things I say to everybody who's getting baptised, expect to have a fresh, deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's something significant, a. Eh, happens. I think sometimes we can, in our, in our wanting to be affirmative and inclusive, kind of like say, do you know what, you can be as good a Christian, well, good's the wrong word, but that 
that, that something important happens in baptism. Therefore, you know, my encouragement is if you follow Jesus, be baptized. This is for everybody. Step into this, this promise because something happens in the act of baptism because God is active in it. Certainly that was never the way it was presented to me. It was always presented to me when I was baptized in a Baptist church uh, as purely uh, an obedience thing, uh, you know, an event which you invited your friends and family along to. That was actually probably considered the most important thing. It was actually very little to do with what happened to the person being baptized on the day other than it was a, yeah, you've done the course, you've got significance. So is this something actually is i'm not saying unique to queen's park but have we do, do we think about this within the baptist context slightly differently because of, of the theology that, that you guys as the leadership bring to other people as you say brody baptists can't really agree on baptism would there be other people in other churches in scotland or baptist churches that would think less sacramentally about it yeah i think there's quite a, a spectrum of perspectives that, that people would have. And I guess probably the more common perspective would be quite a uh, a, a practical um, expression, as Brody has kind of outlined it, of somebody's internal uh, faith. So it'd be a dra- dramatic representation of something that's gone internally, rather than having a sense of, you know, God can be active within this. Um, but I, I think as, as those who particularly believe in the ongoing and active engagement of the Holy Spirit in our lives and with the initiative um, coming from God, then I think it is important that we see this as more than just simply acting out uh, in a sort of practical format, that which has happened internally. If you think about it in terms even of Jesus' baptism being prototypical of baptism, actually what happens at Jesus' baptism is, is essentially it's a, a heaven-to-earth transfer. You know, mm-hmm. so at his, at his baptism, um, you know, you've got, you've got heaven coming to, to earth. You've got the, the Father's initiative being um, manifest in, in the Son's obedience. So there is this um, coming together of, of, of Jesus discipleship, obedience, whatever you want to to call that, but also just of the Father's blessing that is located in that baptism. And there's and there's actually very specific things I'd suggest that um are at the core of what happens in baptism. Things that are not exclusive to baptism, but things if you like that are um are wrapped up in the event of baptism that are core to our uh, discipleship. You know, so you have um you know, a, a repentance, an expression of the confession of faith. You have uh, an understanding of the the fatherhood of God. You have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have a commissioning for mission. I mean, these are all things that are part of our ongoing discipleship. But they are they are there in baptism, and they're not just about you know us gritting our teeth and doing the right thing. They're about God's action, and so I think uh, baptism is a kind of microcosm of of all of our Christian lives that we walk, walk out day by day at where the, in, where the actual active participant is God, um, you know, and we uh, partner uh, along with that. Does that then mean, and that's a really great explanation, does that then mean that we are undervaluing it even if we've taken part in it or have been baptised ourselves? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably in the more um, sacramental traditions, there's more of a emphasis on living out your baptism. Um, and I think, actually, if you just look at Mark chapter 1 and just Jesus' baptism as, as prototypical, I think if we were to do daily um, or to lean into or seek the, the elements of that baptism, the filling of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit for service, the you know the the expression of the Father heart as we as we give ourselves in repentance. You know, I, I I think actually that would build something into the core of our discipleship. So living out your baptism is, you know, is is pretty much what it means to to live the Christian life. I'm wondering, we're having this conversation that does make me feel like is there ever a place, for example, if you've had a period of time when you haven't been walking closely with God? or your life has taken a different turn and you are returning to faith, is there a place for being baptised again? Oh, they're both smiling at me. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the original meaning of the word Anabaptist. So that was the, the accusation from the reformers, Calvin, Luther, etc., of the radical reformers, of they were Anabaptists, they were rebaptizers. But of course, the rebaptism that was taking place there was a believer's baptism as opposed to infant baptism. Um, my, my leaning would be of, as a believer, you're baptised once, but we remember the promises that we have made at baptism, and we press into that every time we take the Lord's Supper. Because both of these holy moments remind us that we are a radically new people who have died to something and risen to new life, who are no longer part of the old age, but are now living in and part of the age to come. And that's why so many people believe that that famous passion from uh, Galatians 3, where Paul says, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, was part of a, a, a baptismal liturgy. And really what that saying is saying is in the kingdom of God, the social markers of ethnicity and race, of religious um, categories, of economic categories, of sexed categories, don't, don't matter in our standing before God. We're brothers and sisters, we're part, we're one in Christ. Therefore live that out in a witness to the kingdom that has come and is yet to come in its fullness. And that's what we celebrate at baptism, and that's what we celebrate at the Lord's uh, Supper. For sure, the foundation of that is, is that mysterious and dramatic work of the cross that brings forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. Um, but there's a, there's a bigger element to it as well, of, of, and that leads to something, as Ian said, of of that challenge, and that's the challenge for us as we participate in a baptism as those who are in the congregation rather than in the water of, it's a bit like being at a wedding where you're reminded of promises that you've made. Mm -hmm. um, you're reminded of a work of God which is taking place in, in, in your life and to kind of like press into that and walk faithfully in it. Yeah, I mean, just maybe to take another little... Um, angle on that. Um, I think baptism has a lot of its biblical roots in 
border crossings. So if you think about the entry into the land um, that Joshua leads the people in, baptism becomes a kind of exit from the old and a port of entry into into the new. And actually, our our following of Jesus is about is about learning to live in the new land. Um, it's not about continually going back out and back in. Um, it's actually about coming to to terms with that and. I think one of the things even the physicality of baptism does is to remind us of that point and that port of entry. You know, this is the point at which we we exited our previous culture, previous attachments, previous uh, allegiances, and we entered into it. Now, that the, the call still comes from the land that we used to live in, but actually we look at our baptism and we say, no, I've been transferred. I'm no longer living in that context. So actually, it's about appropriating our baptism. Um, I think now, it may be that some people think, well, you know, the best way to appropriate that is to do it again. But that also kind of undermines the significance of one baptism, which is to say there is a point of crossing. I ha- the old has gone and, and the new has come. Um, or even to use kind of Pauline language, you know, I'm dead to the old life um, and I'm in a new position. So, you know, Baptism is like a kind of drowning of the old man. Um, and actually, the whole point of uh, kind of Pauline picture is that you don't keep digging up the old man. You actually learn to live as a new person. So I think baptism kind of gives you a lens through which to say the old is gone and the new has come. Mm-hmm. I suppose I can just understand for someone that if they, you know, if they fully walked in the other direction or have returned to the old land, at- mm you know, for that analogy, if, if they are fully there and in some ways maybe if the experience the first time round was was not, maybe they weren't, you know, maybe they decided to do it because all their friends were doing it and they were teenagers or whatever. And so the significance at that point was maybe not as much to them. I think I could see a place where I could understand that, you know, if you're in your 50s, you know, maybe if you got baptized when you were 13 or 14 and, and actually, you know, you've then lived the majority of your adult life not in that place that if you were then in your 50s and actually are rediscovering faith i could understand that you would that you could feel the sense of significance of that being able to partake of it in a completely different way almost like for also using the marriage analogy um almost like getting remarried if you if your first marriage had failed kind of thing but, but i realize that's maybe a controversial feeling but i can understand it but i think again that's to, in one sense, overemphasize me, the human person, as the, the agent, the active agent in baptism, rather than God as the active agent, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that understanding of... So I get baptized when I was quite young. I was, I was 11 in some respects, you know, at times I think man it'd be nice to do that again kind of like having the deeper richer understanding that I have now but it doesn't take away from the significance of what God did by his spirit Mm -hmm. then that I need to press into Um, so God has acted in our baptisms irrespective of how deep or shallow our theology was how deep or shallow 
or, or serious we were about what was going on. God has God, acted. Yeah. God has acted. Um, the border crossing, as Ian says, has taken place. We okay. might not have realised we're in a new land, but we're in a new <laughs> land. Um, and therefore, uh, we don't need to be rebaptized to live in that new land. We're already in the new land. We just need to say, I'm in a new land. I need to live in the new land, in that, in that new standing, in that new identity um, that is ours uh, in Christ. I think the other thing, Jackie, just, um, you know, just, uh, just the, the, the story that you give, you know, about somebody coming back to Jesus in their 50s um, who had been baptised as a teenager. Maybe that's because their baptism actually worked. And, okay. God actually, and, you know, and God did something so significant that that work of the Spirit has been ongoing and it's been reignited. I mean, obviously it's a hypothetical kind of situation you're discussing, but, um, yeah. But that is interesting, though. That is an interesting mm. way to think about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll not add in there that is that kind of not what people are saying about infant baptism, is that that is having a, an effect that is bringing them into life at some stage. Oh, you see, you took this a whole direction I was not going. I'm just <laughs> no, saying that, at this that point. Is, that is the sacramental nature of infant mm. baptism, is that it's a promise to the family, if you like, and to the children of a family who are, who are of faith, that God will intercede. And, you know, yes, there's a whole lot more theology tied up in that, and this is probably not the place for it. Although Brody's, I can see Brody's edging towards the front of his seat, <laughs> suddenly perked up there. <laughs> we might, we might as well face off against it because it's it's an issue. What's your contextualize infant baptism and the various other forms of baptism into what we particularly practice? And on a kind of scale of one to ten, is it? I don't want to say like, do you care? That's kind of a bit blase, but you know, to what extent is this a hill you're prepared to die on in terms of yeah, that this is this is it, this is the way it should be done, or actually is it and I, I don't know if it's just as you get older. I think people as they get older go in one or two directions. They either get more and more, yeah, this is it, this is the only way to do it, or they get more, yeah, whatever. You know, you've got a relationship with God, that's great. You know, talk to me about the different ways that other churches would look at baptism? Dave, I'll go first. <laughs> well done, Brody. <laughs> I think there is a difference between infant baptism and somebody who is baptised, irrespective of their, of their age, but, you know, their, their commitment to what they were doing perhaps is questionable. So, you know, back to kind of like Jackie's thing of, there's still kind of like an active, willing participation. There's still been that kind of like, you know, repentance, um, uh, some kind of stepping into what God has called us towards. That, as an infant, you 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 just cognitively can't do, can you? And yet, within infant baptism, there are aspects of the theology around that which I think is deep and meaningful and beautiful but for most people it it it, it meant nothing uh, and the promissory nature of it wasn't something that they grew into so i can think of somebody who i know who is baptized as an infant and it's deeply deeply meaningful because as a family they they lived out that promise 
but that's probably the exception rather than the rule. And the pattern that we see in the New Testament is of what we call believer's baptism, not adult baptism, but believer's baptism, where the person literally kind of like raises their hand and says, yes, me, I'm following Jesus and I'm doing this. And yeah, so, so that's the pattern that we see. So we, you know, I think that this is more faithful to what we see in scripture, but I don't want to totally discount what other traditions do because there's also a richness there. That was very nicely done, Brody. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's Ian, hard. follow that. <laughs> well, I don't think I can follow that. But I think everybody, to some degree, is wrestling with uh, human responsibility and God's agency, and to what extent all of that plays out. And so there's a tension between that. And I guess, you know, at either extreme, there is this is all about what God does, and it doesn't really matter how you respond or how you act in faith and then the other end it's all about what we do and I think there's a continuum and I think you know we're sort of trying to position ourselves in a particular place in that continuum on the basis of what we read in the New Testament which is a, a pattern whereby people come to a new faith in Jesus Christ in a missionary context um, and they are then distinguishing differentiating themselves from the world around about by proclaiming that faith and in particular doing that through an, a public act which steps them out stands them out from from what's around uh, and i think increasingly we find ourselves in that kind of culture so even in the churches which would have previously baptized infants increasingly they are finding that they are baptizing people who have no prior faith or no family inheritance of faith uh, and and in that missionary context, the, the kind of core position that we find ourselves in is one of baptising those who have come to fresh and a, a new faith. And I'd suspect that as we go on into the future, more and more of us are going to find that that's the environment that we're in, which is more similar, I think, to the New Testament than to the kind of inherited Christendom that you know, we have experienced in the last five or six, well, more than five and six hundred years in, in the in the West. Um, I, I think there's also a whole aspect of discipleship, kind of, if I can use a bit of a pun, you know, there's a taking the plunge um, that is part of what it means to, to choose to be baptised or to choose to respond to God's grace in baptism. Um, and that's quite a different kind of discipleship from something that is done in, for you and on behalf of you. Uh, and I think that's that changes something within us when we are the people who are having to live out choices that we have made. Cool. Well, I have a technical question just that I've always wondered, and since I have two theologians in front of me, I, I thought I'd ask it, take this opportunity. So Mark chapter one tends to be the place that we go to for Jesus' baptism. And one of the things I observe about it is, you know, you hear about the Pharisees and Sadducees criticising Jesus for every little thing he does, for every little, oh, but you can't do this, you can't do this on a Sabbath, etc., etc. You can't talk to a woman, you can't do anything. Yet we see Jesus being baptised and nobody says anything. Nobody goes, what earth are you doing dunking somebody in the water? Nobody says, this is something new and novel, we've never seen this before. So. Why is it 
that within the New Testament, nobody ever says to John the Baptist or to Jesus, what is this thing that you are doing? They almost seem like they're familiar with it going back into the Old Testament. What's the kind of context there? So we know that there's several. So we have what we call the intertestimonial period between the end of the New Testament and the beginning of the, the, the is New. Is that like when you've been at a football club for 20 years, you get an intertestimonial? We see, I was, I was wondering whether you would ask the question of were the 22 players in the pitch last night baptised because of the amount of water that came down? But, you know, there we go. That's a, that's a whole different topic. Um, and people talk about, so the period of which the New Testament is written in Jesus is alive, we talk of as being a second temple Judaism. So we know that there's been development since the time of the prophets building on understanding that, that Ian was talking about of, of those water crossings that we see that people of Israel doing, but also the purification, consecration kind of things that would happen in the temple becomes something that not just the priest does, but that everybody does. So we know that Pharisees would have like a bath and that they would, they, they would pay regularly cleanse themselves in because Sin was this thing that externally stuck to you and you literally needed to wash it off. So there is this um, understanding of a baptism of repentance, a baptism of cleansing. Jesus, the New Testament, then builds on that and transforms it of, of it's doing an internal work or this is a, a sign that an internal work has taken place as well as an external work and the whole new identity kind of thing. So the eschatological, the, the, where is this leading to, the, the, the end point of it is something that the New Testament kind of like adds on to this. So we see this differentiation between the baptism of John and the baptism in the name of Jesus. And one of the biggest significant differences there is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Um, is one of the, the, the big changes that happens there. So there already is in this period of we, we know that, that crowds are flocking out to John to be baptised. Um, and while I kind of like think that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and people like that perhaps thought that John was a bit of an oddball and were quite uncomfortable with him, etc. I think they would have found it hard to argue with what he was doing because they were doing similar things, albeit in a, in a different kind of context and setting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's kind of the innovations that caused the controversy. Um, so we know that ritual cleansings um, were just part of uh, the regular routine of Jewish um, religious practice, as Brody said. Um, but then when you start baptizing Gentiles, um, and the Gentiles that you baptize don't become Jews. Um, that's really con that's really controversial. So you know that's where you get, particularly when um, you know post resurrection and post Pentecost, when the mission of the church begins, and they they start um, adding all of these uh, dirty pagans into the church. That and they do that by baptism, which is back to Galatians again and what quoted earlier on about you know they're not being Jews and Gentiles because we're baptized into one community so I I think this is and I think this is something that we kind of miss as well 
that actually when people are being baptized, they're baptized not as, in, well, they are baptized as individuals, but they're baptized into community. So they're baptized into identification, not only with Christ publicly, but with Christ's people. Um, so it's not just something you do on your own. It's something you basically are standing up and saying, I'm with these people. I'm one of them. Um, and these are my brothers and sisters. And I am in this community on the same basis. I mean, I think one of the things I kind of really appreciate about, about the kind of Baptistic approach to church and ministry is that everybody has come in through the same door. So there's everybody has had to humble themselves and get wet and repent publicly in front of everybody. So there's no pathways for those who have more influence or for those who have some kind of higher standing or reputation. We all come through water. We all come through drowning. We all come through baptism. Um, and that makes us one community. So I think one of the, where it becomes controversial is where baptism then says Jews and Gentiles um, are now one community in Christ. And that's to good. that I say, amen, preach it, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that one good. of the really, but I think that's one of the really difficult things for us as people who live and breathe a individualism and a in our tradition, um, we kind of like emphasize you know that personal response that we confuse a personal response with individualism of of that we are being baptized into Christ and therefore into his body. So one of the things that we are saying in baptism is, is as Ian said, that we, we are committed to discipleship that is corporate, to a spirituality that is both personal and corporate. So I'm using the word personal rather than, than individual. So it's not all just about me, but, you know, that's the, I'm in a context of I'm in relationship of who am I who am I being discipled by who am I discipling what is the church that I belong to in which you know as, as Paul keeps telling them to do that that, that you were building each other up um, and those are some of the commitments that we are affirming or stepping into in baptism oh, you've just disappeared Brody you just got unplugged I don't know if that's a kind of prophetic <laughs> statement or description <laughs> of what it means that when you get unplugged from community they have no voice <laughs> yeah, my, my, my headphone fell out. <laughs> Ian, this weekend we obviously have some baptisms. Could you explain just the process that the people who are being baptised may have gone through? We're assuming there was one um, in advance of this weekend. And also just if anyone who is listening wants to be baptised, how they would go about doing that. It's great. Well, Brody's been handling the process, so I'm only reporting oh. what I believe by faith <laughs> happened. Um, so we we have had a, a number, I believe, of preparatory classes. So we just we invite people to uh, explore the meaning of baptism, and I guess also just to look at what the particular significance of baptism is for them. And um, so, if you're looking at something that we've only scratched the surface this morning, today. We've only scratched the surface today. Well done. We are. <laughs> uh, it's the we, morning, folks. And we are, uh, and, and there is a real richness to what baptism means. So, therefore, kind of appropriating personally what 
this baptism means for, for me would be part of that process. Working out some of the biblical reasons for us baptizing believers um, would be part of that process. So there's a preparatory um, process, which um, is voluntary. I mean, once somebody engages with that process, they're not saying, do you know, that means I'm going to be baptized. Quite often people will go through it and say, do you know what? To be honest, this is not the right time for me. Um, and can we kick this, you know, on six months or, you know, I'm not going to get baptized. So that, that happens. So just to say to people, you know, it is a no pressure environment to explore. But then when someone has decided that they will be uh, baptized, we um, have a Sunday as we have a Sunday this week. Um, and well, Brody, do you want to talk about the practical processes of what might then happen on Sunday? So the practical process is coming clothes suitable to be baptized. <laughs> Bring a change of clothes. Remember, spare <laughs> underwear is the one that we <laughs> emphasize because the number of times that people forget to do that is... Um, not funny, actually. Um, <laughs> of really encouraging the person to kind of like uh, be prayerful and expectant this week. Um, they get to choose a song which is meaningful to them to express something of their love and uh, commitment to uh, God. We normally have somebody who holds towel for them. And again, the encouragement and uh, all we can do is encourage people is think carefully about who that is. Of you know, is this somebody who has had a significant impact in your life and in your journey to Jesus? Is this somebody who's committed to praying for you? Who do you know what? When times are tough, and we all face tough, tough times, that you can say, "Listen, would you pray for me?" So that that kind of like really helpful kind of like spiritual journeying uh, together. We spend quite a bit of time talking about um, what a testimony might look like. Um, encouraging people to, to think about that, to write it down because, do you know what it's, it can be nervous enough or nerve-wracking enough standing in front of people and it doesn't matter necessarily how many people um, but standing in water <laughs> as well <laughs> makes it, makes it kind of weird as, um, so encourage people to actually write down their, their testimony and to be be thoughtful about the words that they use, that they use words that are them, but also words that other people recognise. So a baptism that I remember, and I won't name the person at all, but this was going back maybe 15, 16 years ago. There was a young person being baptised and she said something like, I realise God's just totally wicked and that's amazing. <laughs> now, back in the day, wicked meant God was cool. Cool. <laughs> But some of the old dears in the church were a bit confused about this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, not just old dears, but that, that sounds a bit kind of like pejorative. But So use language that's you, but, but language that understands. And also, I mean, I think and this is a lesson for us all, isn't it? That our testimony is not just about what happened in the past. But mm -hmm. what's God doing now in our lives that we want to give witness to? And what's our hope and our expectation of what God is going to do? The journey that he's leading us on should be part of all our testimony. So in some respects, in a baptism, people are reminding us of stuff that we should be ready to do at a drop of a hat or of give that testimony, that word of what God's doing in our lives. 
yeah, so I mean that's that's some of the the, the the practicalities. Practically, they come into the water. We 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 pray for them. The water is normally quite warm. They give their testimony. We we uh, will ask a question along the lines of, "Do you profess or confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior?" And they will say yes. And then we say, "On profession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And normally in Holy Spirit, we put them under the water and bring them back up. You don't need to hold your breath. You're not under that long. And we do always bring you back up. And then we, we again, while a, the band is playing and the congregation is, is singing, we're, we're praying over them um, that uh, God would just, the Spirit would just seal in what is happening just now, that this commitment to deeper fellowship and discipleship with God would be something that they walk into, praying for that encounter of the Holy Spirit. And then in a couple of weeks' time in the post, they will get a certificate saying the date, and it will also have the scripture verse that we have read out for them as well. So my encouragement to them is don't worry about remembering what the verse was when you're in the tank. You'll get that in a bit of paper. I am getting goosey just even you telling explaining that all through because even <laughs> the line on your own profession of faith I just goosebumps all over me it my dad baptized people um in the church I was in growing up and always when he would say that line there was just this this sense of this was your choice this is what you're saying the, the word profession it just ah oh, feeling undone <laughs> so excited good stuff well thank you everyone for Oh, Richard, in. wait, 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 oh, wait, oh. wait. So oh, the oh. question, that the, 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 the second part to Jackie's question was, and if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'm interested in finding out more bring about this trunks. baptism stuff. Not quite bring your trunks, um, but we are planning another baptism uh, towards the end of the summer, beginning of uh, the autumn. Um, so there will be another round of baptismal classes. So watch for that coming up on... Uh, the weekly update on the website and by all means come and speak to myself, Mary, Josh, Ian, drop the office an email or whatever, make contact and we'll make sure that you uh, know about these. As Ian says, there's no obligation, you can come along, some people do more than one baptismal class before they decide, yeah, uh, this is what I, uh, uh, this is the next step in, in my faith journey. Cool. Well, just like those Anabaptists, we will now have a second conclusion to the show. So thank you very much for joining us. We are going to have a Q&A shortly, so get your questions in. Josh and Mary will also hopefully be joining us, so there will be six of us on the panel, but we shall see. Uh, so email your questions in to office at qbq. We really need to change the name of this church. Can we, can we <laughs> or we just need to I get competent pronounce? people. <laughs> yeah, that would also help. That would also help. QPBC.org. Or if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, you can send us a message direct from the app. So thanks for tuning in. I really enjoyed that. Uh, next week, having done baptism, next week we'll be doing predestination. So tune in <laughs> for, that, uh, for that theological topic. No, we'll be back to normal soon. So thank no, you. No, predestination hasn't been planned for next week. Oh, yeah, very good. Good stuff. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, speak to you all again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.